Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing good. It's uh, nice to not be coming off of a red eye on a Monday, but... um... As we record, but I'm going probably go into a red eye, but you know, better feeling now. But it's good. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're gonna we're gonna monitor to see if your eyes get red because that's just what you do here. Um, <laughs> you know, Doug, it's an exciting day in Starkville because the great Joey Votto is visiting. But before we bring in Joey, I, I wanted to ask you about something that I know has stirred some emotions in you. Um, the Blue Jays have a rookie, yeah, a guy named David Schneider. Um, just as an aside, I think he's got more hits in his first week in the big leagues than you got in like nine seasons. <laughs> he's been kind of hot. But here, here's the part I wanted to ask you about. Um, he's wearing the glove that was once actually worn by a man uh, near and dear to your heart, actually to both of us, uh, the late, great, John Vukovic, uh, who's a legendary coach of yours with the Phillies. Yeah. It's an incredible story. Um, you know, he he's from the Philadelphia area. Uh, he, he found this glove in the lost and found Ugh. at this facility where he coaches in the offseason. It, it sat there for a year. Nobody claimed it. He He's started using it and only has now learned the full story that it belonged to John Vukovic. And there's even more connections, you know, because John Vukovic's son was the college roommate of the manager of the Blue Jays. So it's really wild. Um, curious, though, what thoughts and feelings has all of this invoked in you since our friend Hazel May yeah. from Sportsnet posted a photo of that glove the other day? Yeah, I mean, it, it almost felt like divine inspiration because I just happened to be looking at the thread. And you know, in Twitter or whatever's going on, in X, um, you're trying to find and you, you stumble across stuff because if you follow a lot of people, it's almost like luck when you run into some post. And I happened to see this. Now it is. And I was like, you know, wow, you know, what is this? And then, 
you know, I know she had originally had wasn't sure about it, and then she clarified with an update. And um, I don't know if someone CC'd me in there or something, but then I really saw the connection. And, you know, like John Vukovic, I mean, just, you know, I was just looking through my wallet here. So in my wallet is the John Vukovic card from his, from his service. So I still, I've carried this oh, wow. with, with me since since he passed. And, um, you know, I was uh, very close to John, as we called Vuk. And Vuk was just a father figure. You know, he... He was a third base coach. He had the exterior, you know, the the, the gravelly old school, you know, really good third <laughs> baseman in his day. And but inside was a guy that really was, you know, attentive to the people uh, and who they were and who they are and just tried to understand to be compassionate. And he was really empathetic, uh, a coach that did so much more than just the X's and O's. But, you know, his passion for the game and his passion for winning translated into just winning people and just trying to make sure that you know he was in tune with everyone and he really was and so a lot of people leaned on him but I particularly connected because my father was sick in from 2000 to 2002 had a lot of chronic illnesses from cancer to strokes and Vuk was one I literally and figuratively leaned on uh in many different occasions you know he was the tears after I forgot how many outs there were after I learned the news of my dad's major stroke uh, this is starting the 2000 season. Uh, my mom called and said, look, your dad had a stroke. Don't come home yet. Wait until you come east. But in the meantime, we had to play the Diamondbacks and the Astros. And I was so distracted, I forgot how many outs there were. And Steve Finley uh, with the Diamondbacks tagged up from second base and saw that I didn't know what was going on and then kept going. And that ended up being the winning run. And I was pretty distraught. And and so Vuk and Frank Conan, my manager, then said, hey, you know, they wanted to protect me from the media storm that was about to hit. And uh, I knew I was in trouble. So I remember, you know, leaning on Vuk, uh, you know, tears of frustration of everything under the sun because of all I was dealing with my dad all that week and I was keeping it to myself. And he went and told the GM, uh, Ed Wade, and then told Francona just to give him a heads up, you know, and he sort of took it upon himself. So he was always there for me in so many different ways. And over those years when my dad just got more and more sick, he ultimately passed away the last game of the season in 2002. And uh, and there was many representatives from the Phillies at my dad's service, which also spoke to uh, the family that was the Phillies uh, those years and today. So, you know, Vuk is, is a special guy to me, obviously carrying him with me right next to my dad's card from his service. And, um, you know, I just will always remember not only what he did for you know, the passion for the game and how much he loved to compete, but also just what he did to give you perspective that you're not alone in this game. And uh, he reminded me that of every single day. And he did it in, in such a way that when my father was gone, I had John Vukovic to have my back instead. Wow. Yeah, uh, he, he was a special person. Uh, he just an unforgettable presence in so many lives. It's hard to make people understand sometimes that just this guy wasn't a manager. He was a coach, but he he had so much impact. You know, the way people around the Cardinals sometimes talk about George Kissel. Uh, that's how people in Philadelphia talk about John Vukovic. And for good reason. I mean, even even me, you know, I, was, I was just a writer and um, he held me to a standard. I don't know why. You know, we we liked each other. We talked a lot to each other. I learned a lot from this guy, but he always felt like I should be held to a standard of quality that maybe he didn't hold all the writers to. 
And if I wrote something that ticked him <laughs> off, I would hear about yeah. it. But he'd do it in a way. He'd say stuff like, you're better than this. <laughs> that sounds like it. <laughs> you shouldn't be writing this crap because you're better than this. Do better. <laughs> okay, so like, if he, John Vukovic took the time to tell you that, I, he took it seriously, you know? So all I can tell you is um, it's just the coolest thing ever that this guy is wearing John Vukovic's glove in the big leagues. And I saw that photo that Hazel posted with the letters V-U-K on it. It, it. it was a goosebump kind of moment because of who this guy was. And David Schneider only now beginning to understand himself whose glove he was wearing. It's just tremendous. What a story. Uh, Doug, I know you have to run because you have some stuff that's going to pull you away from the conversation with Joey Votto, but I promise the show will go on. And if you're listening out there, Doug will be back in a little bit because he would never want to miss out on the trivia segment. <laughs> hey, it's a special day here in Starkville, the highlight of every summer because it's that day when the most interesting man in baseball, the great Joey Votto, stops by to look around town. Joey, so happy you could make it, man. How's life treating you? I'm in Starkville right now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you are. Yeah, uh, you are. Okay, all right. So um, <laughs> tell me about uh, the uh, local restaurants and coffee options. Where am I going to get my best club sandwich? Yeah, the Starkville Diner is legendary. I don't know if it's ever open. But, but we always tout it. And I, I'm pretty sure uh, our friend Doug Glanville, who, by the way, is crushed that he couldn't be here. Last time you were here, pretty sure he promised you a statue in the Starkville Town Square and a key to the city. And I'm going to be honest about this. Doug promises a lot of stuff. He delivers none of that stuff. So we accept his apologies that he's just a little behind on the uh, Starkville Joey Votto statue? I'm I'm assuming this key to the city is when I attempt to open the diner, it's not going to work either, huh? That we're working cool. on that. We're, we're, we're just a little slow on all this Today. stuff. I'm sorry. Today's Friday. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. No, I'm glad to be on the show. And um, last time we spoke was, when was it? It was, right, it was right after your shoulder surgery. Right after my shoulder surgery interesting you know when i i remember because we were in the family waiting room i was we, i did this podcast in the family waiting room area and i i basically once i had my shoulder surgery i had rehab and every day i booked spanish lessons and whatever commitments i had and you were layered in between <laughs> a spanish lesson and then some sort of other interview so you <laughs> you, you you were sandwiched in terms of priorities during the day so yeah uh bueno <laughs> Well, since like since we mentioned all the shoulder stuff, uh, look, you had serious shoulder surgery stuff to deal with. Your season started late. Let's just get to that. How how tough was that shoulder stuff? And do you feel like now physically you can be yourself again after all the rehab? Yeah, if you ask anybody, that any expert on on a rotator cuff and bicep combo. Uh, you know, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to make this like dramatic or not, but it's very, it's like, my understanding is it's really difficult to come back from and difficult to be successful and to return at a level that 
that um, one was previous. I think I think maybe 50 50. And um, so it was it was difficult, but it wasn't difficult in the way that I was um, like like moody about it or emotional about it because I was I struggled so much preceding the surgery. And, um, you know, I, I hit poorly. I felt not good on a daily basis. I was confused. You know, um, I'll tell you. So last year, I'm, I, I don't know if I told this story, but last year um, I had like my back was sore and I took, I want to say seven, eight days and but they didn't IL me. And um, I had the four days um, for the all-star break. And so after the all-star break, um, I played the first game in New York City. I believe we were playing at Yankee Stadium. And I went outside and my back was feeling great. I was feeling great. And we were facing Garrett Cole that night. And I ran a sprint and I my hand hurt so badly. And my elbow hurt so badly. And my 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 shoulder hurt, but mostly my hand hurt. And I didn't, I was like, what's going on? And it had been like this for a month or so, maybe maybe a month and a half. And I wasn't able before, you know, I wasn't able to practice for a while. I wasn't able to to take my cage swings. And so I was like, what, why is my hand still sore? I just took eight days off. We had the all-star break. I should feel fine. And I'm facing Garrett Cole and he, he's throwing as hard as he possibly can. He's still, you know, at that time, right in the heart of a a great season, looking like it's best. And I took a swing in the first at bat and my hand hurts so badly. And I was like, what, what is going on? And it stayed like that for, for the next five, you know, five, six weeks before I had the surgery. But every day I was just confused more than anything. I was confused. Why, why can't I do what I should be doing? Why can't I power the ball? Why are these right-handed pitchers dominating me? I mean, a a strength of mine throughout my career has been uh, hitting against right-handed pitching. It's one of the nice advantages of being a left-handed hitter. Uh, There's so many right-handers in the league. You you, the ball's coming at you, you know, um, and I was just getting dominated by, by right-handed pitching. And, once I had the surgery to answer your question, your original question of how I, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't emotional during the rehab. I was really struggling on a consistent basis preceding the surgery, losing sleep, confused, long slumps, couldn't hit against right-handers, couldn't react well against breaking balls. And um, now that I'm health, healthy and trending towards full, full health and kind of finding, calibrating my swing, adapting, you know, my game to the present version of, of, of uh, major league pitching. It's been really fun to see the progress, you know, watching each week, a new exit velocity peak, or like speaking to the hitting coaches and talking about an improvement in my attack angle or watching video and seeing my swing get even tighter. Um, you know, my contact rate going up, my strikeout rate going down. And these are all a byproduct of, of, getting stronger, feeling better, more bat speed, more bat control, having a more dynamic barrel inside of the strike zone. I mean, the strike zone is not two-dimensional. Two-dimensional. You know, we watch it on television. Uh, hitting and the strike zone are not two-dimensional. When we watch it on television, it appears as such. But <laughs> being able to, you know, read inside with your barrel inside of the strike zone and 
and take half swings or full swings and be able to deliver your barrel to the ball as it breaks and rises and runs away from you um, and attempt to put the ball in play on lines. That's the game. And so I, I felt like at first, maybe three, four months ago, when I attempted to come back, I didn't have that dynamic swing. Whereas each day my swing continues to get more dynamic and faster, which is exactly the combo a, a, a good hitter is looking for. Yeah. You, you know, I, I'm always fascinated by how every year in baseball can be so different from the years that came before it. And I feel like you're having one of the those years, uh, even though you just explained some of it. Did you know that you have a higher home run percentage than Otani? You, you, you do. Higher than Otani, higher than Judge, higher than Olsen. It's the highest percentage of your career. You also have as many homers as singles like that's that's a very unusual joey vado kind of year so i'm curious what that tells you it, it tells me my swings off so really um yeah that's not gonna last i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna be otani judge home run wise because i'm sure i'll shift i'll shift those hard hit balls more to lines and that's what i was trying to say about my tack angle you know um joel mckeith and our hitting coach shared this with me in Milwaukee. I was in the midst of another cold, cold stretch. You know, my, the start to my season has been very volatile and I was confused. I was either striking out, hitting high fly balls hard sometimes, but hitting fly balls and grounding the ball to the right side. And I was confused. I was like, my bat feels fast. Why do I keep missing this hanging breaking ball, this high fastball? And what, you know, why am I one Oh fiving ball balls, into the outfielder's gloves straight up, you know, why am I popping those up by hitting them really hard? And I didn't ask this question. I was just kind of trying to work it out myself and, and on my own in the hotel rooms, in the batting cages, in the quiet times in your locker, you're, you're refining, you're thinking, how do I solve this problem? How do I fix these misses? Because the goal isn't, the goal is being a predictable hitter. Most hitters want to just be predictable. And I wasn't being predictable. I, I couldn't guarantee that when I got a quality pitch to hit, it was going to go in play hard. It was going to go over the fence hard. And so trying to solve this, I was like, okay, I have to start working down to the ball. I have to start working at a down angle to the ball and countering what I feel like is this slightly up move. So I'm in Milwaukee and I'm out getting loose in preparation for the Chris Russo interview. And, <laughs> um, Good one. And, um, Joel pulls me aside. He says, you know, your attack angle to the ball is like super high. It's in that, you know, I'm not going to say hitters names, but it's in the top five in terms of it, your attack angle is too high. You're in the, uh, the, the bucket of guys that Homer strike out or ground out. And I was like, that's not, that's not allowable. You know, I'm not going to allow that. <laughs> goes, the, the top 50 ex-WOBA guys are usually in this, you know, I was at, at the time I was at 16 degrees roughly. And, and he said, the best guys are usually in the seven to 12 range. And most really good guys are kind of in that, not, you know, he said, Otani something like seven or nine Acuna, something like five or seven. And so basically he's telling me they pull the ball to, and intuitively I know this. So this is not like new, you know, Eureka information. He's telling me, or I, 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 I intuitively, I know you pull the bat down and attack 
attack the bat as uh, attack with the barrel as flat as you possibly can, um, as opposed to like a, a, a steeper angle. And so, um, to go back to your original point about homers and um, homers and Otani and and being among that elite class, that as I continue to refine my attack angle, my homers will go down, but my contact, my K rate will go down. My line drives will increase my, my um, hits and average, everything good. That's a part of my skill set will, will go up. I'm still going to hit home runs as long as I'm healthy because I'm, I still have bat speed. The ball comes off my bat. Well, Um, but the more I work down to the ball, the more the home runs will be driven down, but all the other good stuff will come. You know, I, I, I hit, I, I have like no walks against right-handed pitching. Wow. And that's a byproduct of, of the swing path also, you know, I, I, am either going to threaten when I, as I adjust the attack angle ball will go and play uh, or I'll feel tighter, like more efficient to the, to the ball. And I'll, I'll instead of swing over a slider or swing over a change up or miss a high fastball, I either take, um, I'll like, or more be more likely to take. So each and every day, my swing is getting better. You know, I, again, it's entirely a byproduct of this injury, but I can see it in the video. I can see it in the data and more, most importantly, I'm starting to see it in the results on the field, which is what, what this is all about. So Otani and judge and Olsen are, are going to be the elite home run hitters. I may, <laughs> I may be in that tier below. So, hey, hey, Doug had a question and he actually recorded this one. So if you're ready, here's Doug. So Joey, the 2023 season has had the most sweeping changes the game has seen in a long time. It was often said that veterans would have the toughest time adjusting to these new rules. You know, you have all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, the pitch clock, the bases, and so on. So what have you learned about your adaptability and how that impacts your belief in your longevity or even your relevance? Um, I, I personally, and I, I, you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in my own little echo chamber. Personally, I think it's a strength of mine. You know, I've, I've, I've taken pride in what are you handing me? Let me solve it sort of thing. So as far as the rule changes, I felt nothing but excitement about them. I, my goal at the beginning of the year was to lead the league in least timeouts. <laughs> How's that going? You'd on a per plate appearance of a uh, thing. I would guess I'm. I would guess I'm up there. I don't know. Like you, you if you watch the Dodgers, they never take a timeout. So, <laughs> um, and I respect that. It's about you know get in the box and hit the best pitch and 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 you know good good hitters that make contact. And boy, the Dodgers have a lot of those. But good hitters that make contact, they don't need to step out of the box. They don't need to step out of the box. Guys that know that there's a line coming off their barrel. Guys that know they'll swing at strikes. Guys that know everything about the person that they're matching up with on the mound. Or guys that are so good at reading, reacting. They can just sit in the box and just, okay, you know, strike one, ball one, next pitch sort of thing. It's these guys... um, it's not whatever happens with the rules, it, it won't make a difference to them. So um, I would like to think I'm in that group. Um, and uh, so as far as the pitch clock rule changes, I'm, I love it because we've had a, a ton of two hour and 20 and two hour and 40 minute games, which is right up my alley. I mean, less time on the field, the better. Yeah. Um, 
as long as the, the, the product is great for the fan at home. But as far as how I view myself, I don't, I don't feel any of the changes. I don't feel any of the changes in the game in terms of like, Ooh, this is crowded, crowding me. I feel like this is too much for me. I don't feel that way. I feel like what, what's the, what adjustments are being made? Let's adjust to them. You know, fastballs going down more cutters, more sweeping slide, you know, sweep, sweeping pitches. They call sweeper, I guess, uh, more, more splitters change up, what have you adjust, adjust, adjust new, new information, uh, change your game slightly to adjust to it. You know, I'm, I've always, the only, the only constant during my career is, is chasing success. That's it. And I'll let everyone else decide what, what, you know, what I have to encounter and I'll decide how I succeed. All right. Let me ask you about the, the, the next thing that's coming, which is electronic ball strike calling. Um, you just did the whole rehab option thing uh, in AAA where they're doing this. What was that like? What, what's the biggest shock to somebody who knows the strike zone like you do of dealing with a machine calling strikes? Um, so the, the strike zone there feels much smaller. Uh, especially on the top portion of the zone. Yeah, my purpose. Right. Uh, right. I, I, so right. I would I would take maybe just as like a getting a feel for the pitcher, and I I I when I oftentimes when I'm in the box, whether I'm taking full take or taking like read take, like as in I'm I'm going to swing, I'll talk, like I'll say, I was like no, like as the ball's coming in. And so uh, sometimes when I would, um, when I would take a, a, a pitch, I'd be like, I'd be like, yes. And it would be, it would feel like you're right down the middle and then it would be a ball. And then I would, I would say to myself, uh Oh, this is not good for, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a handful for, for pitchers because I mean, they're firing balls, what feels like down the middle and they're being taken for balls. So um, how did I feel about the strike zone? I felt like um, it was incredibly accurate, of course. But it also tells me I, I'm a believer, and we ha- we've had this debate in the clubhouse, strong, really fervent debate. I believe, I'm a believer, that the strike zone dictates the game. It's the strike zone that decides. It's the size of the strike zone that decides how the game looks. I liken it to the NBA. The hoop and its height decide how the NBA looks. The entire, you know, I would say that the league averages six foot seven. The because the the height of the the hoop is ten feet tall. And in in baseball. The tighter the strike zone, I think the taller the game gets. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I, either way, the, the, the strike zone will dictate how offense looks, how, much, how the pitchers look, what, 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 what front offices and um, coaching staffs, what kind of pitchers they add to their roster. So I, I feel strongly that, um, that whatever changes they make to the game will completely change the game in a lot of ways. So... That, well, that one's definitely going to change it, whatever whatever form it winds up taking. Um, 
it's a fascinating, it, it's going to be a fascinating dynamic when it happens. Uh, I bet all right, let, probably take years before all teams find their efficiency, if that makes sense, you know, like, oh, yeah. And then because it have to carry up through, like for, we're experiencing it now with the changes to the pickoffs and the base size. So like you can see the slight lag with the league in terms of not taking advantage with speed, if that makes sense. You know, some teams have abused it, have really taken advantage of it, have tacked on probably a few extra wins, and some teams have missed out on it, maybe more stationary teams. I could be wrong on that one, and I really oh, don't. you're like, right. I don't like speaking on other teams. I really don't. I don't like speaking on the league in general because I only know so much. But I think I've seen games where you'll see one team and they're blazing all over the place and they change the, you know, we just played the nationals and they stole all the time. And it was like, Holy cow. Like, and then you'll play another team and they'll be stationary the whole time. It'll be like, it'll feel like it's 2021 sort of thing, you know? And I think that the game will, I don't know. We may see some changes in that way. (laughs) We're, we're already seeing it. Your team is like the ultimate example of, where the game is going, I think. So let me ask you about your team. Ellie De La Cruz, Joey, Mm -hmm. I'm in awe of the talent of that guy. So a few weeks ago, you were, you watched this. He stole second. He stole third. He stole home in a span of like 12 seconds. Here's my, here's my question. If I had the power to give you Joey Votto, the speed of Ellie De La Cruz, what would you do? How would you change how you play baseball? How would I change how I play baseball? Well, contact would become a, more of a priority for me. But you have to you have to find that sweet spot of like of because I have I can hit the ball hard and hit it over the fence. I, I don't want to give up too much of that with my contact attempts. So there's an opportunity cost thing there. You take a contact swing, you miss out on the power options. Um, if I had a speed, I would like to think I would be an efficient base stealer. I would like to think that I would I would be um you know, I would I would be a good base runner in general in general going first to third, second to home and first to home. So I think that those things can really help a team. You know, it's something I've tried to take pride on even with my below below average speed. Um and so <laughs> listen, you can you laugh, but it's my life, okay? This is <laughs> sorry. <laughs> below below average is a great term i I like that term i'm gonna use that well below average average below and then i fit in right here (laughs) right but see i'm giving you the the chance to go from there to there to there to there like how many innings would you still second third and home pretty much every one you think with your savvy uh well savvy um if i had elite speed i i'd probably be a more aggressive base runner uh and base dealer of course i mean the base is right there so, uh, I mean, speed is such a luxury, luxury. And, and more importantly, wow, what a joy it is to watch these guys run. Like if I were a fan, I'd be on, you know, I'd get off my, you know, I, 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 when guys are on base in the past, I could see how someone may put around on their phone, check Twitter, check X, excuse me, check Instagram, whatever. And, um, and, and they wouldn't be in tune because they're like, ah, no one's running, you know, I'll just watch the pitches. Whereas like now, if, if you watch a team or watch players that are base runners, you have to watch 
the pickoff. You have to watch the catcher throwback. You have to watch because there's guys trying to steal in between Acuna for example. <laughs> He'll run to second base on a walk and then take third. Like, yeah. I mean, if if I were um, if I were to get a season ticket anywhere, it'd be either for either Anaheim or Atlanta um, because of how fun those two guys, both Ronald Acuna Jr. and, and Shohei Otani, are to watch. But um, yeah, I mean, the game is different in terms of of you have to keep your eyes on the game, and how and that's what we want. Please keep your eyes on us, sort of thing. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you know, another thing, obviously, about these these guys you're playing with, uh, I mean, it feels like while you were rehabbing, the Reds caught up like 22 guys, all of them designed to make you feel old. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if that's working, but I, I, I am curious what what so many – being around so many young guys, what they've taught you just because they're at such a different stage of life and also what you have taught them because um, you've already done the stuff that they have never experienced in their life. Well, the, um, taught, there's a lot of things to learn from, from a new group as far as Perspective, optimism, excitement, daily energy, um, being, you know, these, I feel like this, this group, maybe, I don't know if it's this generation, but certainly this group, they're really supportive of one another. And they're really, they have, you know, a a consistency of, of, of a consistent, like friendship and amiability. Is that a word? I think that's a word. Um, And they're just, they're just great together. So improving my, my teammate abilities, I've learned a tremendous amount. Really? Like, what have you learned? I don't know. There's just ways that like, so the culture, when I first came up was very kind of snarky talk, like, like that's the way you showed, that's the way you showed your friendliness. You would be snarky to one another. Whereas <laughs> these guys take snarkiness as disrespectful. Disrespectful. Wow. So I've had to adapt my language, the way I speak with everyone. Snarkiness is like not welcome. 
you know, um, it's my way. It used to be our way of being like, Hey, I like you. Hey, I'm supporting you. Hey, I got your back, but I don't want to be too supportive. Whereas now it'll be like, like just, they'll just say the words of how they feel. Hey, I, I really like that swing. You're doing great, man. You're my guy sort of thing. And so that's been a bit of adjustment for me. Easy adjustment. I feel like that's been good for me over the last X number of years, five years or so. Um, and then as far as what I've taught them, well, it'd be awfully assuming of me to say what I taught them. I, I don't know. I, I have always taken pride in consistency of my work, consistency in terms of the way I compete, uh, making sure that I'm accountable for myself. I've tried to keep it tight in terms of reactions post failure. If that's a real challenge for me because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fiery on the inside and there are times where I want to react, but in time I've learned that let's just put the helmet away. Let's just keep our mouth shut and let's just sit down and simmer. Uh, I can't always do that, but I found that, um, just being a repeatable, predictable person. I'm always in the gym pregame prepping. I'm always in the gym postgame coming down. I'm always in the cage doing my routine. I'm always on the field uh, doing my defensive work. You know, when I'm on the field, I give a, I, you, I, I attempt to give 100%. I try to run that every single day. So I would like to think my example, um, the same way I learned from, you know, the Scott Rollins, the same way I learned from, you know, other, other peers that played consistent and played hard guys on other teams. I used to love watching Chase Utley play. I used to love watching Adrian Beltre play. You know, these are, these are guys that I respected and admired that uh, were consistent. And, and, and I think that's the way I like to teach. Sometimes I'll say something in meetings, but oftentimes if I don't deliver a concise message, I feel like I, I, I may not have, I've, have hit, something hit it home sort of thing. So try to be, I try to be a uh, show with, uh, sh I try to demonstrate with my, my, my actions. Okay. I, I have another Glanville question. Uh, this is very not snarky. This question. At no other time in baseball, have we had more data, more access to technology to measure performance and everything under the sun. And I'm sure that will continue to increase. So based on all this information and the adjustments you've made throughout a lifetime in this game, what kind of player do you think you need to be to continue to extend your career? How do you make those decisions to adapt? You say, all right, I got to hit more home runs this year. I have to walk more. Uh, how do you match that with who you are as a player? My late father, who died 15 years ago, um, and I used to talk about this particular subject and he used to tell me i'm i'm when I, i'm 40 i feel great you're going to play until you're for you're going to play in your you know past 40 in your 40s when you're 40 you're going to play when you're 40 and you're going to be fine and i remember that being a truth for me like that being like an absolute like no matter what i'm going to be fine when i'm 40 so it doesn't matter everything in before it it's just, it's already written. It's already been written. Um, so that to me, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's, it, it just is what it is. And so how does it feel? Um, more uh, attention to detail as far as sleep and diet. 
you know, embarrassingly, you wouldn't believe what time I got up today. What time I All went right. To- I'm going to ask you, what time did you get up today, Joey? 1.45 p.m. 1.45 p.m. I was trying to, I'm trying to max out my sleep. You know, it's good. Uh, do I want to do that? No, I want to be up at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. But, you know, sleep is, is the, the most important thing I can accumulate during the season. I don't always wake up at that time. But today in particular, I, I felt like there was a need. And so sleep, maxing that out, keeping your t- diet tight. You know, I, I don't remember the last time I may have touched a, a little bit of ice cream or something like that on an off day, but um, keeping the diet tight. And then the most important thing for me, maybe not most important thing, but certainly amongst the, fir- the, the important three, um, my movement, like making sure that I'm consistently moving, moving in the right way, um, you know, opening up the parts of my body that need to stay open. Um, you know, I watched Ichiro um, when he was playing for the Marlins and here he is 43, 44 years old, every day playing long toss, running his sprints, doing his, you know, calisthenics. And I watched him. I just sat there and watched him. And again, it's back to the watching, you know, I didn't need him to instruct. I just watched his actions. And I was in awe, true awe of, of how well he moved. And I watched him in the game flying cannon, good defense. And I'm thinking, this guy is 43, 44 years old. Why is he moving so well? And I just went out the same time the next day and I watched him move. Then the next day, watched him move. And I'm thinking, okay, I think. Uh, and then I started Google, Google searching like um, uh, uh, articles on him about his, his, the way he takes care of his body. And, and so I accumulated an idea of how I need to take care of myself. And I, so I started to build those habits and I noticed is really taking care of, of, of how I feel on a daily basis. If I don't stay on the movement part of it, then I risk maybe a little tweak. Something comes up sore, I'm not moving quite as well. If you don't stay on it, you go down sort of thing. So um, those are the three most important things as I approach 40. Um, And then I think, as I mentioned first, that that um, that message from my father, you can do it. You know, you can do it. And I b- firmly believe it. Now, as I sit here a month away from being 40, you know, I, I'm I'm confident I can do it. I feel like it's in my control to be able to come back from this crummy injury uh, and to be able to perform well. And I will perform even better to finish the season. You know, that's that's a product of my, you know, the work, of course, but to have that message from my father, I think has gone a million miles. So yeah, I, I would say that's the combination. Wow. That's really cool. Well, let's, let's wrap this up by let me asking you about this unique place that you find yourself. Uh, you're in a place that you've never been right. The last guaranteed year of your contract. So I wonder if that's caused you to approach the journey differently as you've gone through this season and there's also the other part of it, the future. I mean, I'm not good at predicting it. Maybe you're better at it. I, I'm curious about where you think you you will be in life a year from now. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good question. You know, when in the midst of of this 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 comeback from the injury, there are so many moments where the doubt creeps in, where it's like you're done, or uh, you really think you can keep doing this sort of thing. And then things get better. Swing gets better. 
body starts feeling better, shoulder, arm in general, body in general starts feeling better. And then it's like, no, 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 I want more sort of thing. And it coming back from this rehab has kind of been this sort of up and down experience, you know, and, and if you, anything on social or any articles or any commentary in person or any message from the fan, a fan, excuse me, even on the field, your peers, it's, you know, old guy washed up, retire or wow you're old amazing i can't believe it you're almost 40 <laughs> this is incredible you can do the you know tom brady thing blah 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 so it's like the message being sent to me is is like we know that we the whoever's speaking to me understands the context of where i'm at and are are providing their own sort of you know projection onto it um and so to answer to answer the question about how, where I see myself in a year, I I I've tried really hard to stay present. I've tried really hard to not get too far ahead of myself because today, to, today's at bats and to, the next day's at bats, the, each day's individual at bats, defense, base running, they're all basically a tryout, not to other teams, not to my team. But they're actually a message I'm sending to myself on a daily basis. I want to be an effective major league player. I want to be, I want to be a really good major league player and one of those players that you just pencil in the lineup and forget about. You put it, throw him at first and you forget about him. You know he's going to run the bases and you forget about him. That's what I've been when I entered the league and that's, most likely what I'm going to be when I'm, when I leave the league, lead the league, leave the league, excuse me. And so every single day is you are going to send yourself the message that you can do it sort of thing. And then whatever happens, happens. I, I know when I play well, I'm a major league player. There's just, I'm not, I'm not going to be soft about this. I'm a major league player. There's, there's, there's nothing to say about that. Um, when I'm not a major league player, I'll leave. And if you're asking about where I think I'll be next year, I have limited control on that, right? They have an option. They have a, they have a, a, uh, an, a, an option of team option for next year. And we'll see what they have to say about it. You know, we'll see, we'll see what they, have. most importantly, we'll see how they feel about me. You know, like it's time at some point to move on. Maybe they feel like they want to move on. It's time at some point to, you know, maybe they feel like they don't want to pay me, you know, maybe they feel like there's budgetary stuff. I have no idea whatsoever. All I can really do is run through this finish line play. And to be honest with you, that's really all where my head's at. You know, I've been a Cincinnati red my entire career. I have nothing but pride wearing this uniform. I would love to finish my career in a reds uniform, but there's only so much control I have over that, you know, and, and, you know, I don't want to speak on contracts, but that's, that's up to them. That's up to them sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we'll see, I'm going to finish off the well, you're strong. And, uh, I feel, I feel great. You know, like in 21, I, I had a really good year. I think I was like top five or 10 expected Woba. So it wasn't just like my stadium sort of thing. You know, I, th I, I finished top five in OPS and in, in the NL played well defensively, felt good every day. My bat had, had good whip to it, ran through the finish line at the end, had a good finish this season. 
And um, I was like, oh, I'll just do that in 22. Actually, I'll do better than that in 22. And I, I you know, COVID for me was super crummy. Like I, I had an, I had, I had a really not good start to the season, but I wasn't worried about that. COVID hit me and then the injury and without making excuses, it was a really difficult thing. No, it was impossible to overcome. I tried everything I could. And this is, this to me is like, this to me is like the opportunity to say, no, no, I'm healthy. I'll, I'll, I'm still a very capable player. And, you know, so whether, whether I've, uh, my career is done after this year or in future years, I'm going to just continue to run through the finish line each and every day. So, yeah. And, you know, there is something so cool about playing for one team your whole career. I, Doug and I were reflecting on this. He had, he had a question about it. I'm not going to r- run through that, but. It's, you know, a, it's, a, it's a relationship, though. You know, it is. there has to be. Of course. There, were, there were times in the heart of my contract where, you know, I, I was frustrated. I was frustrated and there were times in the heart of the contract where they were frustrated. I'm sure there were probably countless times where they wanted to trade me. I, no one would ever tell me that, but it's not going to hurt my feelings. If you wanted to get rid of me, like there's probably, there was probably times, whether it's the, the, how much they were paying me, or maybe they didn't like my personality or that maybe they didn't like how I was playing. I had a knee injury in the heart of it. Maybe they thought whatever perception they, I'm sure during the relationship, because there were times where I was frustrated too, but that is a long-term relationship. And that's an impossible thing to avoid over this, over the stretch, over the course of a long contract and a long experience. And we've made it this far sort of thing. And I have nothing but admiration and respect. I didn't think I was going to be a career Cincinnati red player. I, when I was drafted, I was like, Oh, I'm a Cincinnati red. And then as you kind of get older, you're like, Oh, I'm a Cincinnati red. This is kind of fun. I like this, but like, you don't know if the team, you see guys get traded. You see guys sign with other teams. You see, you know, my father died. I kind of wanted to be with my family in Toronto. You know, I wanted to be with my younger brothers. But I was like, do I? And then with with time, with time, you're like, no, no, no. I'm proud of this. No, no, no. This is my home. No, no, no. This is my heart. This is my career. This is me. I am this. And so I'm sure there were times where they felt, the 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 same way on their end and so you know um but to make it this far as a red uh in one uniform you know i have nothing but pride in uh in wearing this uniform i'm i've been it's been an honor the entire time i mean you're probably gonna have to assess all right what what does it mean to me to walk away saying i was a one-team player right so i mean if you if you got into a situation where there was some other team say it's a great team that wants you and your choices go do that or retire as a one team player, a red for life. How difficult would that decision be? Right. Yeah. The jackpot to me is winning a championship as a red. That's the jackpot to me. I don't, I, it's an odd feeling. So I, I'm a bit of an, I don't want to say old school type, but I, I admired the birds, the magics, the Jordans, you know, my favorite players in baseball, you know, uh, Ted Williams, Cal Ripken, Derek Jeter, you know, uh, the guys that stayed with one team, you know, we're here, we are in Pittsburgh, Roberto Clemente. Um, you know, I, I have a real admiration for, you know, 
probably if Frank Robinson had stayed with the Reds, he would have been my favorite player of all time. You know, I, I, I look back, I met him fortunately in, at an all-star game and I didn't want to say it to him, but I loved watching the video, seeing his swing, seeing the way he performed during his career. I love Frank Robinson, you know, um, but it bums me out that they flipped him. They flipped him to the Orioles. Right. You know, if I'm not mistaken, he was wearing an Orioles cap, <laughs> Hall of Famer. He was. Yeah. Is he not? Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. only imagine that comes from a little bit, maybe I'm projecting, but a little bit of like, you guys didn't want me? I'm going to win a triple crown over here and a most valuable player sort of thing. Maybe not. Maybe he just had such a great time in Baltimore. But, um, you know, I, 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 my, my jackpot is winning a championship with the Reds. So the idea of like glomming on with another organization to win a ring First of all, championships aren't guaranteed, of course. Um, you know, I've, I, I've, we were the first place team that got beat by the Giants that won the World Series in 2012. So I've seen the wild card of wild card teams have the the coolest moment in, in our sport. So um, that doesn't that doesn't appeal to me if if I speak it out loud going to another team to chase a ring it only means so much to me so it's like the it would it's the jackpot for me is winning with the reds and um you know so yeah we joe i could talk to you all day i know you got other stuff to do <laughs> but yeah, I, gotta, it, I, gotta go to, I gotta go to work <laughs> you should do that look it, it's always special uh, to get a chance to talk to you about pretty much anything uh, we would love it if we could make this an annual tradition. You just have to promise that you'll always come back every year to Starkville. And we'll get the we'll get the Starkville Diner going. The pie will be you'll be able to smell the pie from wherever you are. It's very enticing. Sounds good. I look forward. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing 
ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Okay, Doug is back. And it's a good thing because it's that time again. It's time for listener trivia, our wave involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Doug, we've ripped off two of these things in a row. So I was thinking about this. I think we're now in position to do something pretty sure we've never done get at least one trivia question right in every month of the season we've got one in april may june july and now august Mm. only one month to go so where would that stand among your great career achievements yeah you know i didn't think about the month streak like that yeah Um, you know it's uh, joe dimaggio comes to mind um you know i mean that's the first thing that i have to think about yeah phenomenal great run yeah very dimaggio like Just so you know, I think we have our work cut out for us this week. So, on that note, let's welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. It's actually one of my neighbors, Rich Weiss. Rich, welcome to Starkville. Thank you. It's great to be on here. You guys are the greatest. I I appreciate that, my friend. Uh, You know, normally... I'm running into Rich on the streets of Bucks County. Uh, but you have to admit, Rich, it's way more exciting to meet up on the streets of Starkville, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Why don't you tell people listening just a little about yourself, what team you root for, what you love about baseball, um, stuff you used to yell at Doug Glanville, that sort of thing. Phillies all the way. I used to yell at Doug in the uh, caverns of the vet when it was empty and trying to get Doug to get that batting average up before he got traded or something like that. But, uh, he, never, he never turned around. That's a really? Yeah. <laughs> no, in the I, zone, man. He heard zone. every word though, right, Doug? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I just, you know, in the zone there. Well, I heard the guy nice, who, nice, you know. Con- nice contract, Doug. Yeah, like, yes. <laughs> I used the to bunt- yell at Gary Maddox too back there. Yeah, lay the bunt down. I mean, I was what was cool about Philly and, and you had to be on your toes though. When I was living downtown, I mean, I would walk the streets. People would stop me listening to talk radio and be like, hey, you got to keep your front shoulder tucked in, man. You got to like, what are you doing? You know, like they, they had, oh, they were at detailed advice. So, so uh, I was all, you know, Philly, you got to be ready to play in Philly. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I have, my, I have my, my companion here, my dog right here. You can probably right. see him. Yeah. His name is Cooper. His name is Cooperstown. Cooperstown. And, cool. Whoa, love it. And my first dog was Schmitty. The second dog was Chase Utley. <laughs> Here's Cooper Cooperstown. Oh, so right. I, I um, I, I'm a I'm a retired uh, Philadelphia school teacher, phys ed department at Central High. I used to be the varsity oh, yeah. baseball coach there for nine years, and I still umpire baseball in Philly and the suburbs. 
Uh, you could see me at Council Rock, Jason. If you take a ride over there, I'll be there a lot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and that's I'm I'm pure baseball. All right, sounds good. Hey, hey, look, the the catching up has been fun as always. Uh, now comes the part that's not that fun for us, <laughs> the actual trivia part. <laughs> so let's do this, Rich. Why don't you hit us with your trivia question? Okay, because this one, I thought it was really good. And you obviously did too. So it's a two-part question, guys. So which pitcher is the only pitcher in Major League history who has earned saves in the deciding game of the World Series in three consecutive seasons that's part one three straight three straight games in the world series back to back to back and then the second part is only one other pitcher in history has done it in two consecutive seasons and that is again post 1970 who was that other guy who did it two years in a row okay Mm. i'm i I don't know if i'm committing to both parts of this (laughs) bonus if we well, we're just going to commit to the part that we get right. That's yes, yes. We'll let's just do that. Right. What do you think, Doug? That, that sounds, sounds like great. a good plan. If we get yeah. either of them, though, we got to get. That's the tough part. Right. Um, um, so it's three, right, you know, three consecutive seasons. They won the World Series, saving and, the deciding game so, of the World. So that Series. you know, so the the celebration began, and this this was the same dude three years in a row. That's pretty yeah. amazing. That okay, actually so, happened. Okay. It happened. So the obvious place to start is with teams that have three-peated yep. because there are many of no. them, especially not since 1969, which is when saves became an official stat. So mm-hmm. I like the, the Yankees, 1998 to 2000, so that would be Mariano. Mm-hmm. And you got the A's of yep. the 1970s, which I, I think must be Raleigh fingers yep. right um two good guesses now, yep. of course but then the, the other thing is you could have somebody um yeah like traded and uh, do it again for traded another. bounced from team to team i mean Ugh. there is that possibility like mariano just seems way too obvious to me even oh, raleigh okay. fingers seems kind of obvious i'm not ruling him out but i i know the way the trivia people tend to think because I'm one of them, okay? So, all right, so we'll just leave those two in a separate category, right? So the other thing I think we know, Doug, it can't be that recent. The last decade has been a bunch of mostly random pitchers who have saved these games, starters and all kinds of unexpected stuff. So, Rich, I'm, I'm thinking that this actually goes pretty far back, 70s, 80s, 90s. If you feel like giving us a hint, hints are always happily accepted. What, what are you talking you think? about? A hint for part two? I, you're talking about or a hint for part a hint for part one? Like what era we're talking about? Oh well, there's only I think we have what two answers, right? That we uh, yeah, because we, we but it could hey it could be somebody who did team let's, up. Let's cut, let's cut to the chase, so we have time for part two. Get, well, you did say one of the two, so one of those two. Oh, was, it's one of the two. I'm not going to uh, make you guys go fishing. So oh, that, yeah, I mean, I, I okay. All on. right, well, I, see, it seems to me that Mariana would be way too obvious, way too obvious. So <laughs> I, I think it's Raleigh Fingers. Oh, I might be overthinking me. it, though. I've done that before. The answer uh, is Mariana. Okay, hold on a second. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't get to <laughs> We didn't thrash. <laughs> we didn't get the thrash. It's just Mariano. 
Mariano, 98, <laughs> 99, and 2000. Oh, my God. This is the most embarrassing thing we've ever gotten wrong. <laughs> I mean, we didn't get a chance to thrash over it like this. I was, let's uh, thrash over it. Let's well, thrash I was, over it. Well, I was, definitely, I was definitely going to push back on that because I was going to go through you'll each, be, you'll be, each. You'll be more um, impressed by your listeners if you get number two because most people, 99% people will get number right. one. Oh, okay. Well, I, I wish I'd have known that. <laughs> um, I, I actually think I know the guy with two. Really? I think it's I think it's Dwayne Ward from the 1992-93 Blue Jays. Is that right? Nope. Oh no! Oh, God, I was so proud of myself too. Well, it could be Goose Gossage, Sparky Lyle from those '70s Yankees. At the right decade. Uh, uh, oh, so, all right, what's this question? This is like two. So it could be Raleigh years. Eastwick in the seventies. Machine, that's a good one, huh? So seventies, two consecutive years, and it could be and one team. The, so the Yankees won back to back, and the Reds won back to back, and the and the A's won. What seventy one two? No, it's seventy two three and four. So that would make it. Well, Raleigh Fingers again. <laughs> uh, okay, that would, that would make it Sparky Lyle or Raleigh Eastwick or Raleigh Fingers. Doug, you pick. These are bonus points anyway. Um, no, I mean, I, I, so consecutive and they're on the same team. Where they didn't really get traded that much in the 70s, right? Would you trade a closer? I mean, I thought about guys like Jeff Reardon, whatever. I don't think he ever did it. Yeah, well, I was thinking like Will Smith and he, he didn't close it. But that was nine two thousand. Okay, back to seventies. Uh, all right, so Reds, A's, and who are we saying? Raleigh Eastwick, Yankees, Raleigh Fingers, or Sparky Lyle. That's what I think. Oh boy, I have no idea. Uh, all right, Yankees. That was Reggie, Mister October, Sparky. You know, guys went like nine innings all the time. Uh, Raleigh Eastwick. And and fingers is the other one. You know, here's the thing. I mean, Spark. Uh, okay, Sparky Anderson managed the Big Red Machine. What was his nickname, Doug? Captain Hook. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that tell you he was ahead of his time and going to the pen? I, I think it's Raleigh Eastwick. Right. I, I want to guess Raleigh Eastwick. I'll let, uh, you know, I'll let you take these guesses. You, yeah, it <laughs> sounds good. I, I don't have a contrary vote. <laughs> I, on I just missed the question that Mariana Rivera was the answer <laughs> to. So don't trust me. But anyway, Rich Raleigh Eastwick is our guess. This is funny. So Doug actually said the, a guy's first name, but the last name was wrong. Believe That's the funny part. And Jason, you got the right team, but the wrong closer. So Goose? No, uh, I said, well, I said so the, Will, uh, Will Smith. Are you talking about when Will, I said what? That was the right first name. Oh, so Will McEnany? That's right. Mm. Will McEnany saved those games for the that, Big Red Machine? Is that crazy? Is that nuts? I like it. All right. Well, that, we, we weren't. There's no reason we would have got that one right. The Mariano Rivera question? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but here's the deal, Rich. Once people get tired of us thrashing around trying to answer these questions, there's still a part of the segment nobody ever gets tired of. And that's the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another fabulous play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim... What do you got for us this week that'll distract people from the horrible job by us in missing Mariano? 
Well, this was a pretty easy one when you think about Mariano, right? So you go back to the third one, 2000. That was the Subway Series with the Mets. Mariano Rivera in to close it out. Justice is gone, so Stanton. And in his place, Mariano Rivera. Who is tied with Raleigh Fingers for the most saves all time in World Series play. And in postseason play, he has 18 saves, three more than Dennis Eckersley. Piazza gets into one to center. Back is Brian Williams, a three-piece. The New York Yankees. For the third time in a row, fourth time in five years, and 26th time in franchise history, they are the world champions. Joe Buck, Tim McCarver, McCarver, Mariana Rivera. I've heard of them all. (laughs) <laughs> but we didn't name the one that was the most obvious que- answer to any trivia question we've ever been asked on this show. <laughs> so, Rich, thanks for stopping us. Thanks for joining us. I will see you around the neighborhood. Yes. You're very welcome. Take care. Strange but true. Man, it was another great week for Strange but True. Doug, there was so much weird stuff that we could have picked. But there are times I feel like you shouldn't try to overthink these things. I don't know if you heard this, Doug. There was a no-hitter last week. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> it, it was perfect timing, too, because a week ago on Starkville, we spent a lot of time talking to Dave Dombrowski of the Phillies about trading for, guess who, Michael Lorenzen, uh, and be sure to go back and catch that chat if you missed it. Uh, it was really interesting. But um, I digress. <laughs> Hold on one second. <clears throat> but then on Wednesday night, that same guy, Michael Lorenzen, had himself the game of a lifetime. Let's hear what it sounds like when a guy throws a no-hitter. And this is the final out. Swung on, popped up, shallow center field. Rojas sprinting in, he's under it. He has space, makes the catch, and Michael Lorenzen has thrown the 14th no-hitter in Philadelphia Phillies history. He is being mobbed by his teammates as the Phillies shut out the Nationals 7-0. The bell never rang so beautifully. 124 pitches, 15 fly ball outs. And a masterful celebration. Tip of the cap to Rob Thompson. He gave a young man a chance to do something that only the special ones were able to do. Welcome to Philadelphia. Welcome to Citizens Bank Park. Michael Lorenzo. Wow. That was Tom McCarthy and John Cruck on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And you know what was so cool, Doug? Um, Michael Lorenzen said afterward he had always dreamed of pitching a no-hitter. So he had actually watched every one of Nolan Ryan's seven no-hitters. <laughs> that would be like you dreaming of breaking Joe DiMaggio's record so you watched all 56 games of his hitting streak. Would that actually work? Probably not, but uh, it would have been fun. Yeah, I don't think I would have realized that dream, but... Uh... Not uh, pretty amazing, though. but yeah, the fact that he like I know you want to visualize things, but he he, he really made it happen. Phenomenal, <laughs> he did. And you know there was there's so many fantastic, strange but true tidbits that grew out of this no hitter. I I wrote two different columns about it, so check them out <laughs> in the Athletic. But let's just run through a few of my favorites. Uh, 
how about this one? In the last 125 years, there have only been two pitchers who got traded in the middle of a season and then threw a no-hitter in their first start at home for the team that traded for him. One was Michael Lorenzen, who got traded to the Phillies. The other was a guy named Don Cardwell in 1960, who got traded by the Phillies to the <laughs> Cubs. thought that was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Um, I'm going to run through the four pitchers in Phillies history who pitched the most seasons for that team. Steve Carlton, 15 seasons, no no-hitters. Robin Roberts, 14 seasons, no no-hitters. They're both in the Hall of Fame. Chris Short, 13 seasons. How many no-hitters? None. Kurt Simmons, 12 seasons. How many no-hitters for him? Zero. Nobody pitched for the Phillies longer than those four guys. 54 seasons. Not one no-hitter among the four of them. Michael Lorenzen gets traded to the Phillies. He's there a week, and then he throws a no-hitter the first time he ever steps on the mound in Philadelphia. So good. In fact, you know, it's a kind of a cool thing that I, I dug up. Every pitcher who has pitched a no-hitter for the Phillies since, since 1890 was basically a guy who just got there in his first full season in Philadelphia. But Steve Carlton, all those guys, didn't throw any. Uh, okay, one more, Doug. Uh, this one's gotten around a little bit, but it's just amazing. Uh, a guy on X or what used to be Twitter, he dug this up. He posted it. People have gone nuts. Um, four pitchers in the history of baseball have reached the big leagues from Fullerton Union High School. Here are the four. See if you can name what they have in common. <laughs> Michael Lorenzen, Mike Warren, Steve Busby, Busby. and perhaps you've heard of Walter Johnson. Johnson yeah. That's yeah. Pretty what do they have in common? Than... They all have now pitched a no-hitter in the major leagues. They're the only four guys in the history of their school who got to the big leagues, and they all threw no-hitters. Is that nuts? That's, that doesn't make no sense at all. Uh, yeah, that's cosmic right there. I mean, talk Yes. About, wow. <laughs> I know. Mm. You know, Doug, I, I can't remember if you ever played in a no-hitter, but I, look, I remember all too well that you were out there that day that Eric Milton took a no-hitter into the ninth inning in the same ballpark, yeah. and a ball dropped in front of you. I, stuff happens. I, we don't have to go through that whole story again because we've told it on this show a few times, but here's what I'd like to ask you. I always think about this. Can you describe what goes through your head when you're out in the field and you're, you're basically counting down the outs in your brain to finish off a no-hitter? I mean, that's like, I think stress is probably the best way to, you know, I mean, yeah, you're excited about the possibility, but it's also, you might have to defend it. Certainly if you're on the defensive side, uh, and in the case with Eric Melton, I was, you know, brought in for defense in the ninth inning, yeah. so that didn't work. Um, but the idea is like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like you might have to make that incredible play. Like was it Burley's no hitter with the White Sox, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, was it Wise who went and climbed the wall and Matt Wise? Yep. Yeah, incredible. So, um, so I think you, you know, you know, it's coming, and and there's all these rules like don't talk to the pitcher or whatever. But 
uh, once you get past five innings, it becomes a thing, you know, <laughs> and, you're, and that's probably happened a lot in my career. Like, oh boy, we're five innings in. And you usually, you know, pretty much in my case, every time something happened and it was broken up. Uh, in the minor leagues, I had a, um, we got no hit. We got a no hit once in 1992. It was like my first full season. But during the game, a guy hit a hard line drive ground ball off of the third baseman's like shoulder glove. It was hit smoked. <laughs> and they gave him a hit. And it was like the second inning. And then it was Frankie Rodriguez. Remember the Red Sox? Uh, he also played shortstop. Well, Frankie then threw a no-hitter the rest of the way. And later the scorekeeper turned it back and said it was an error. And then it became a no-hitter. So it was a little bit, you know, they weren't celebrating on the field. It was like later that the next day. <laughs> so it was a little bit weird. But um, but that's it. That's all I've had on the no-hitter front. And uh, But I think even without having the no-hitter, the anticipation is is intense. It's really intense. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think I've I've told this story before, but I have a friend of mine. He's a he's a big stats guy, data guy, analytics guy. I'm not going to name him, but he, he's argued with me in the past that we get we overreact to no hitters because they are not a statistically significant event. And look, <laughs> nobody likes statistically significant events more than me. Okay, <laughs> but it's so irrelevant to this because when you're at one of these games there's nothing like it the way that the drama builds inning by inning as everyone in the park begins to realize what's going on yeah <laughs> and when when you again when you get down to the last 3 innings Everyone is counting down the outs. Everyone in the park, in uniform, out of uniform. And just though there's really, there are very few regular season events, I would say none, where the suspense, the drama, the, the goosebumps build out by out like that as the night goes along. And just an incredible experience to be at one. So, um, Here's to Michael Lorenzen. He just experienced something so many great pitchers never did. And he'll have this one with him for the rest of his life. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read our fantastic coverage of, say, Michael Lorenzen's no-hitter or all the other great stuff we cover, here's how you can do that. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can sign up for a one-year subscription for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. But also remember, this is big. You too can be part of this podcast every show. We pick some fun listener trivia question. Then the fun listener gets to join us right here and prove once again that there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong, especially if they're as obvious as this week's question. So to do that, how would you join us? You could do what Rich Weiss did today. You can email us. The way to find us is Starkville at theathletic.com. Starkville has an E on the end. Uh, there's threads. I'm still putting out the call for trivia every week on threads. Uh, you can check out my Facebook 
fan page. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been getting some great questions over at Facebook. Or you can do what most people do. Hit us with trivia on that site we once used to call Twitter. Uh, Doug, I, I think we've decided we're going to ask people to exit us, whatever that, however that works. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to X a question to you, <laughs> is that possible? Yeah, I mean, well, you forgot the two other ways. You could send carrier pigeons to the headquarters of the athletic or smoke <laughs> signals. Um, so those are two others. Uh, for me, okay. yes, I'm going to say at Doug Glanville, but it could be X. I don't know, I'm waiting for the at to turn into an X. It hasn't yet. Yes. But it might. An X in a circle. That's cool. Uh, but it would be Doug Glanville. My name, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N. V as in Victor. I-L-L-E. That's it. All good. We, maybe we should all start spelling our name with an X in there somewhere. Yeah, let's just throw an X. J-A-X-S-O-N. Right? But instead, I'm at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Jason with a Y. S-T. Just remember, hashtag your questions. Hashtag Starkville Q-S. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Joey Votto for making his annual visit to Starkville. Thanks to Rich Weiss for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville. Tim McMaster for producing us and putting up with us. And Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.